Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today we have a special guest on the podcast, and that is Stephen Adler, and he has 30 years legal experience in the fields of estate planning, estate administration, real estate, and business law. Stephen's practice focuses primarily on trusts and estates for families interested in smooth estate succession to the next generation, as well as asset protection, elder law, and estate tax planning for high net worth clients. Gentlemen, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing terrific, Eric. Larry, Thank you, Eric. I, you bet. Stephen, I, I'm really excited that you're here today. I really appreciate you coming in. What are we going to be talking about today, Larry? So, you know, in our practice, we, we do see a lot of clients that have been divorced and are married for the second time. So I, I think there's a lot of interesting topics from estate planning that we should cover for second marriages. So Steve handles and works with a lot of clients on second marriages. So we're going to talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, trusts and life insurance and trust. So we've got a lot of, you know, techniques here and a lot of ideas to talk about in estate planning that we'll find interesting. All right, so where Steve, do we start? Steve, you know, what are some of the most common estate planning issues when you're dealing with a second marriage that you see? Well, uh, first, Larry, thank you for having me on your podcast. And, uh, you know, other than the ever-present issues involving ex-spouses, uh, the most common concern I deal with is how to properly protect your children from prior marriages on one or both sides. So you've got the children to protect, but they're you know, that besides the children, what else do you see that you have to, you know, protect? Well, you want to protect the assets because many occasions the uh, one spouse brings more assets to the marriage than the other. And there may be children on both sides or just one side. And so there are a lot of issues that have to be discussed between the spouses in order to figure out how to, uh, you know, protect them and and make sure that everything after the first or the second spouse dies goes to the children that it's intended to go to. Okay. And I'll, we'll get back to that and kind of, kind of some of the specifics. And I'm going to ask you some of your recommendations on that. But before we do that, you relate a story to me about, you know, a potential client that you had who didn't do some of this planning. And I think our audience would like to hear that and see why it is important to do some of this planning. Well, that's true. Recently, I had a, a client come to me after uh, her stepmother died, concerned about what happened to all the assets of her father. Her father had most of the assets when their parents remarried about 10 years ago. But her father, who was then in his 70s, let his new wife manage the finances. That's how he handled it with his first wife. And he was happy to let his second wife handle the finances as well. And unbeknownst to him, and his children, she began transferring assets over to her name alone so that all of the bank accounts, the investment property, some other real estate were solely in her name. So upon her death, her children became the executors of the estate and her children proceeded to begin to transfer the assets to themselves, assets which really originally belonged to her father. And so when she came to me, she, she asked, what can she do? How can she change this? And since the transfers were made, uh, some of them as much as 10 years ago, there was very little that could be done unless she 
wanted to try to prove that uh, there was undue influence or fraud or something along those lines, like maybe her father was incompetent at the time. And that is something which could cause a lot of problems if you want to pursue that line of action. Yeah, so in this case, that really wasn't his wishes, but because they didn't do some of this planning up front, it didn't work out the way he really wanted to work out. So that kind of gets to, you know, a question of mine. So, you know, if you're just, you know, newly married for the second time, how do you properly plan your estates for one of their demise? Well, it's very important that, you know, the two spouses sit down together and have a heart-to-heart talk about what their assets are, who brought what into the marriage, what their ages are, how accounts are going to be titled, what assets are necessary for a surviving spouse, and what assets uh, they want to leave to their respective children. And what are there some other documents that are that, that we should you know address at that particular time? Well, the foundation of any estate plan is a will and the advanced directives, a power of attorney, a healthcare proxy, and a living will. And in some cases, even in second marriages, that may be enough. If the spouses are bringing about a similar value of assets to the marriage and the children are all similar ages and it's a close family unit upon the first spouse's death and then, you know, everything goes to the surviving spouse and upon the surviving spouse's death is a good chance that everything will go to all the children equally or fairly. But that's not always the case. Quite often one spouse brings much more assets to the marriage than the other or one spouse could be significantly younger or older than the spouse and that presents a a whole nother set of issues. Yeah, you know, what I find sometimes when we sit down and start talking to clients with second marriages is that, you know, right now they're both fine and they're healthy and they both love each other. And they're like, I don't really uh, concerned that the other spouse will take care of their children, but they're not thinking, you know, 20, 30 years down the road where one may have passed away a long time ago and now they're not of the same mental capability and now you've got their children involved in it. So it can get very messy. Sure. So what are the things that you know that you should do now in order to, you know, in order to protect that? Well, you know, there's no cookie cutter solution for, for everybody. An estate planning attorney needs to ask the right questions and listen to the answers of their clients and determine what the best solution is. But quite often that'll involve creation of trusts, whether it's revocable trusts or irrevocable trusts. Trust can ensure that after one spouse dies that the assets or a portion of the assets are protected for the children of the first spouse to pass away. Yes, that's a great point. So therefore, the surviving spouse now cannot take that money and give it to someone else because they've had a trust created, correct? That's correct. Like in in the case of a, a simple will, Wills are revocable, changeable at any time. So your husband and wife can prepare wills and they could decide to treat all the children equally. But after one spouse dies, and if that spouse is now elderly or being unduly influenced by scrupulous children, they might change their will after many years and leave the assets only to their own children. So the way to protect that would be to have some sort of event trigger a certain portion or all of the assets to become irrevocably held by a trust so that the surviving spouse can still receive the income, maybe even some of the principal, be able to live in the home for the rest of his or her life. But you can ensure that upon the surviving spouse's death, those assets still get divided as they were supposed to when both spouses did the initial estate plan. 
Great point. And that trust is not created until there is a triggering event, such as the death of one of the spouses, correct? Uh, that is correct in certain cases, but sometimes the trust can be created uh, while you're alive. You can create, uh, as a matter of fact, what I do for many of my second marriage clients is we create a revocable trust now while they're alive, where they both have control over the trust. They're the grantors, they're the trustees, they're the beneficiaries. They control how the assets are invested, when they take out money, what's being distributed. But the trust has a, a trigger, like the death of the first spouse, that all of a sudden causes the estate assets or a portion of the estate assets to become irrevocably held by the trust. So in, in such an event, the surviving spouse might receive half of the assets outright and have complete control of them, either through the trust or outright. But the other half or portion of the assets are now in trust where they can provide income to the surviving spouse or a home for the surviving spouse to live in. But the surviving spouse cannot change or affect the terms or the dispositive provisions of those assets. So that that's a you know great idea. So this way you don't have to worry about it somewhere down the road. It's already been set up up front, and it, it since it's revocable, it could still be changed. Correct? It could still be changed as long as both spouses are alive. And similarly, sometimes we create those trusts in the spouse's wills, so that upon the death of one spouse, the assets that were in that spouse's name can be transferred to an irrevocable trust, either a Q-tip trust or a um, credit shelter trust for the surviving spouse. And then upon the surviving spouse's death, those assets get distributed to the let's, children. Let's as just well. back up a second to our audience <laughs> out there. What's a Q-tip trust, Steve? Well, a Q-tip trust or a qualified terminal interest trust defers estate taxes um, so that the assets are still in the surviving spouse's estate for estate tax purposes, but the surviving spouse doesn't have control over the disposition of those assets. The surviving spouse can live in a home that's in the trust, can get the income or even have access to some of the principal from that trust. But upon the surviving spouse's death, that trust or the assets in that trust will be distributed as was originally intended when the uh, trust was created in the will of the first spouse to die. Yeah, so let's go back a step. So a new married couple comes in, it's their second marriage. So, you know, what should they look at? And, you know, what do you kind of address is, you know, when they come in for the first time? The first thing that you want to address is what their assets are, who's bringing what into the marriage. You also want to address many obligations they may have to former spouses or obligations to their current children. Their ages is an important factor if one spouse is significantly older. Their, their health is another important factor. You also want to look at how accounts are titled, uh, whether there's joint tenants with right of survivorship or tenants by the entirety, tenants in common. You also want to look at their retirement accounts. Who are the beneficiaries of your retirement accounts? Have you changed them since you got remarried? The same goes for life insurance. Who are the beneficiaries of your life insurance? Is it your children? Is it the previous spouse, which would be a terrible thing, or is it your new spouse? And changing the beneficiary designations on those accounts can also have a an impact, and in many cases, a good impact on uh, the dispositive provisions to protect children from your previous marriage. You make a great point on the beneficiaries. I mean, the one thing that I see time and time again is that 
individuals don't understand the difference between what accounts are governed by beneficiaries and what accounts are governed by wills. You know, they have these wills and they spent hours upon hours deciding how that gets divided up, mm-hmm. but then they don't understand what a beneficiary does. So can you explain the difference between, a, you know, the, the wills and the beneficiaries and why that's important? Sure. It's, it is very important because a will only controls those assets which are solely owned by the deceased. So if you have a joint account or you have a house that's jointly owned or you have an IRA that has a named beneficiary or you have a life insurance that has a named beneficiary, all of those assets will pass by operation of law to the joint owner or the named beneficiary. So in many cases with married couples, if they own everything jointly or their retirement accounts or life insurance have named beneficiaries, when the first spouse dies, their will doesn't have to be probated. Everything will pass either to the surviving spouse or the joint owner by operation of law. However, if that first spouse had any assets solely in their name, then the will comes into play and will determine who gets that particular asset. So for example, your will can cover all kinds of circumstances and and determinations of who's going to get your assets. But if you're talking about assets that have a named beneficiary or a transfer on death or are jointly owned, it's not going to affect those assets. The will does not trump named beneficiaries. Yeah, we've heard, you know, I'm sure you've heard of it. I've heard the stories too, where a beneficiary wasn't changed and a couple was, you know, remarried and the first spouse was the beneficiary that was named on a life insurance policy. Right. And, uh, you know, that could get a little sticky, don't you think? It sure can. And that used to happen until uh, it was, I think, just as several years ago, New York State did pass a law that upon a final divorce, a spouse from the prior marriage uh, cannot outright inherit uh, or receive the uh, distributions from insurance or retirement accounts unless those beneficiary designations were updated since the divorce. So there is some protection now in New York State in those circumstances. Yeah, that's great to know. Um, you mentioned before, you know, what happens if you come to the second marriage with one has a lot more money? And you also mentioned what happens if they're not close in age? Can you expand on, you know, some of the things that you should do in those situations? Yeah, sure. Let's speak about the difference of age. Um, there are some concerns, uh, especially from your children, that maybe your new spouse is only after your money. Or even if your new spouse is close in age to your children, they may begin to wonder if they will ever receive an inheritance from you. And, and, you know, and what about, you know, when you see situations where one spouse is bringing significantly more assets into the marriage than the other spouse, how do you handle that? Well, yes. And in such a case, you want to ensure that those assets or the bulk of the assets of of the first spouse, if they're the first spouse to die, are put into a trust where the surviving spouse has access, let's say, to the income if they need it. Um, And then upon that surviving spouse's death, like I mentioned earlier, the trust assets can go to the children. But in many cases, if there's more than enough money and the surviving spouse doesn't need all that money to live on, then upon the first spouse's death, why not make a distribution to your children. You don't have to leave everything to the surviving spouse, whether it's in trust or not. You can make a distribution of half of your estate or a certain portion of your estate directly to your children. And you could also provide for your children through the use of life insurance. If your spouse needs 
your assets or the home to live in. If you're the spouse, first spouse to die, you can still provide for your children by having sufficient life insurance that names them or trusts for your children as the beneficiaries. Yeah, so you know, make an excellent point there, and and we've seen that a lot. Uh, you know, especially if you know the spouse, you know, they're healthy. It just makes life a little bit cleaner, whereby the children can get the life insurance proceeds, and the new spouse can get all the other assets or some combination of that. So you're still seeing a lot of that in your practice? Yeah, I sure am. And, you know, every situation is different. And it's important to listen to your clients and and find out about their relationship with their own children and the other spouse's children. And then you can make the best determination or recommendation as to how to treat the assets. And look, my clients don't always follow my recommendations. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they are the decision makers. But we try to put a plan together that will cover any circumstances that might happen. What about do you see, you know, prenuptials, you know, on second marriages or it's still not really done very often? Actually, prenuptials are becoming more and more popular. I'm, I'm seeing more and more of them. And it's not really such a red flag to ask for it. If you are the money spouse or you have a family business that you'll be inheriting or have a piece of from your own parents, you want to protect that if you're getting married, whether it's a first marriage or a second marriage. So we're seeing a lot more prenuptial agreements these days. And, you know, prenuptial agreements are very important, but they don't cover generally what happens upon death. They cover what happens upon a divorce after a second marriage. So you still need to put a proper estate plan into effect, but an attorney needs to see the prenuptial agreement in order to see what concerns there are and how to deal with them in the estate plan they're preparing for the couple. Okay. You know, I mentioned life insurance, mm-hmm. you know, and the use of that. And uh, are you seeing that with the life insurance that you're done in a second marriage, is that done in a trust, outside a trust? Is there a reason for doing a trust? Well, I am personally a big proponent of life insurance. I've seen it help many families in many situations. And in most cases, I strongly recommend that life insurance be owned by an irrevocable trust. The reason for that is that if you have minor children or minor grandchildren, or you're concerned about asset protection, or any of your children or family members have substance abuse or special needs issues, a life insurance trust can protect your children and and your family members in that situation, especially in the case which I've seen for minor children. And in the case of divorces, I had a case once not too long ago where the, the couple was divorced and one of the spouses named his daughter as his minor daughter as the beneficiary and then he passed away. Now the mother of his daughter had to petition the court to be appointed as guardian just to collect the life insurance proceeds because a minor cannot collect life insurance proceeds. And then each year she had to account to the court just to, you know, how she was going to spend any of that money on behalf of her own daughter. And then the daughter would get the money at age 18. Now, if he had simply changed the ownership and the beneficiary of the policy to a trust, he could have controlled and named a trustee to make you know, distributions to or on behalf of the child. The trustee would not have had to go to court and accounting would not have to have been done each year. And then he could have also controlled when his daughter got the money. Maybe 18 is too young to inherit a half a million dollars. Maybe it should have been spread out over a couple of ages, like 25 and 30 years of age. Right, because then it would protect against a 20-something-year-old who we know may not be of the best 
decision making of, of doing something and, and spending it all down. Right. Like I heard the story once of uh, a child going out to Vegas and putting an inheritance on black. I mean, things like that can happen. True story? Did he, did he, did he, did he, True pay, story. Did he pay off? <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard about it because it did not pay off, actually. <laughs> that's, so, very, that's very funny. But yeah, things like that can happen. So, no, this is great information, Stephen. So, um, you know, I appreciate you being here. And, you know, for anyone that knows anyone that's in a second marriage or is about to enter into a second marriage, you know, they should really listen to this information and, 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 you know, come and talk to an attorney or come give you a call. Any final thoughts on, you know, why it's so important about uh, doing this for a second marriage? Well, I guess I would say that the only wrong thing to do is nothing. Any planning you do is better than no planning. Even if you keep it simple and you don't want to cover all the contingencies, just having that foundation in place is very important. But if you're serious about protecting your assets and protecting your children and making sure that your wishes are carried out even after your death, sit down with an estate planning attorney and put your cards on the table and come up with a plan you know, that suits you and your spouse and protects all of the children. All great advice. Uh, thank you so much, David, for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time to participate in our podcast. Well, thank you, Larry. It was my pleasure. Hey, Steve, I, I tell you what, I am really glad I am not in a position uh, to need this at this point in my life, because this sounds really complicated. Uh, there's so many moving parts and so many options out there. If somebody does want to get a hold of you, uh, can you please give us your contact number? How do they reach your office? Sure. Well, my office is located at 390 North Broadway in Jericho, New York. My office phone number is 516-876-1105. You can also reach me via email at steven at sawlaw.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-N at S-A-W-L-A-W.com. And I have a website that you can uh, peruse as well, and that's at www.sawlaw.com. Great. Thank you so much for your time today, Steve. I, I really do appreciate it. And Larry, I'm a little surprised at you saying that an 18-year-old that gets a half a million wouldn't make the best decisions. Come on, man. I mean, I, I would have made I would have made great decisions. No, I was, I was dumb as a box of hammers. I'll be honest. I would have just blown that money. So no, I, I completely agree. It's probably a good idea to space that out a bit. Let some maturity happen and stuff. So no, that, that was funny though. Hey, Larry, um, I know that a lot of people count on you for uh, fantastic financial information as well. And you are obviously connected in the community. You connected us today with Steve. How do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to your office? Yeah, they can reach out to me. Our phone number is 631-293-2806. We have offices in Melville and in New York City. They can also check us out on our website. And that's hellerwealthmanagement.com. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you guys for your time today. Thank you. Thanks. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.